I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show we've discussed piano and that is the best way to get into the beginning of a book podcast i think <laughs> as it's they, musical as they say writing yeah. is musical writing Definitely is musical about cadence mm-hmm. so many so many so many Damn books. Uh, welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Lisa Brennan Jobs in the damn library with us this evening. Um, uh, Lisa Brennan Jobs lives in Brooklyn, and Small Fry is uh, her first book. Her articles and essays have appeared in Vogue, O Magazine, Southwest Review, Massachusetts Review, Harvard Advocate, and the Los Angeles Times. And we're so excited that you are joining us tonight. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. felt very inspired by your book for this drink should we talk about tell us about it yeah (laughs) but what's the laugh for (laughs) well just that you felt inspired to drink because of my book (laughs) (laughs) well that's uh, fair enough um so this is a this is a take on an um out on manhattan um because it's uh bourbon and vermouth but the vermouth is this floral vermouth that has been infused with um, cherry blossoms and violet blossoms. So it's this very floral um, bouquet, as, as well as I used a little bit of uh, homemade rose simple syrup. Um, and so those things all mixed together, um, just stirred with a little bit of um, bitters, old-fashioned bitters, and strained over a big ice cube and topped with a dried rose. Because there was this part of, and I'm calling it the walk-on Waverly, because uh, there was this part in the book where you're on a walk with your dad and talking, and there's this um, beautiful set of flowers of, of roses that um, I don't know. I was so surprised at how well you could remember all the sense of it, and it was very sensory. They were um, there for a while, so I saw them a bunch, and then I could describe the one time when we talked about them, or the few times we talked about them. Nice. But they were really beautiful, those roses. They were spoked out from the fence. Whoa. So they were... Oh, wow. They were, I don't know. We must have used some sort of amazing fertilizer. I don't know. <laughs> and they were... The the stems were bright green and the thorns were bright green too. Oh. And they were called Joseph's Coat and they were all different colors. So some sort of play on sherbet colors, right? Like yeah. pink and orange and white and magenta mm-hmm. but each rose would have a different um combination of those colors wow really beautiful yeah wow. it, it very much struck me so that's what so that was the drink i wanted a floral basically a floral manhattan 
Yeah. It works. Good. It's really good. I'm glad. So that's the drink. Nice. Well done. <laughs> but it doesn't seem girly, you know? It's still sufficiently masculine, I think. Mm. Which well, is the bourbon. I, Right, exactly. <laughs> Which I really tried for with the book. I thought, oh no, what if only women read it? What if it's uh, a, w- a woman writing just for women? I want men to read it. I want, you know, so. Everybody. So this drink also straddles the masculine feminine oh, divide. Wow. That's really high praise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically like inadvertently praising my book, which yeah. I didn't mean to do. No, I, I'm going to just say that it's all about the cocktail. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so why don't we, uh, why don't we talk about, uh, books we bought? Sure. Since that's the next part. Do you want to start? Okay. I will start. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited. We got sent, um, uh, Aaron Morgenstern's a new book. She wrote the night circus, which is a novel that I just fell into and, I just loved it Whoa. so, so, so much. And so she has a new book called The Starless Sea that's coming out soon. And we got copies and it's right there on my shelf. Nice. And I will get, I get to read it. But there's so many things that we have to read in front of it. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Our own homework. That's great. The thing. struggle. Yeah. <laughs> the endless struggle. Well, because oh, if yeah. you look so at your difficult. life, <laughs> if you look at your life in terms of a library mm-hmm. of books you're going to read. Yeah. We used to, we talked about this for a little while. I, I did an MFA at Bennington. We talked about this. It's actually a really small library. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, it's not even like a, you know, you'd imagine a nobleman's library or something. It's smaller. It's maybe like, it's more than this wall. Maybe it's like two of those. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Even yeah. if you read a book or two a week. Yeah. If you measure your life in the size of library, you realize you're, you know, you're going to die soon. It's right. Mortality awaits. And there, so it's important what you choose, right? And yeah. You, yeah. There was this um, there was this funny sort of um, online calculator where you like write how many books you read in a year, and then like a couple of things about yourself, and they were like, "You'll you have you know seven thousand books left in your life," or like, <laughs> like oh, cool, cool. I I actually would rather measure my mortality and how many books I have left than years. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would make every book like that's a really, really yeah. What important. happens if you're like reading faster than expected and you're like, well, I still feel healthy, but I got three books left. Um, <laughs> oh, that yeah, that's the that's know? the short story Ooh. version of this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do you want to talk about a, a book that you bought, Lisa, or do you want Drew to go first? Okay, I bought the Secret Garden. Ooh. 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 You guys Love like that, that idea? Yeah. Okay, so this has to do with the sentimentality of being a mother. That my son is only a year and a half. He can't read. We don't read complicated books. I can't really read to him if it doesn't have pictures. I mean, come on. Why am I assembling a library? But it's exciting, right? It's exciting to think someday I'll be able to read these books to him. So I bought, you know, I have Peter Pan. And I started reading that again and I realized, oh my God, it's so good. Mm -hmm. That kiss on the corner of her Mm -hmm. lips that wouldn't go away this like man child it's <laughs> it's incredible and so uh, i just i realized i didn't have let's see what i didn't have oh and james and the giant peach oh. mm. but i couldn't get a beautiful copy of james and the giant peach at our bookstore they just didn't have one um but the secret garden they did and wow. i started reading it and it's actually wonderful mm. that's yeah. one of those books that i haven't 
I'd like to touched in that. 25 years. Yeah. The um, James and the Giant Peach, they released a version that I'm still kind of looking for that I look in books in bigger bookstores for um, that was peach scented. All the pages are peach scented. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I just want to know terrible. like what, what chemical did they put you on You want to have book? that experience <laughs> just once, not necessarily have it in your home, but actually encounter the object. No, I'll just, I'll put it in some, you know, I'll put it in a bell jar. <laughs> <laughs> but it combines your love of taste and literature. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Of, of senses mm-hmm. and words. There this we actually, go. This feels like a great idea that like a year from now, Penguin Random House is going to be like our new line of <laughs> smelly it, books. It was. They did. They did a couple. Oh, God. They did a couple oh scented books. I think they did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And it's chocolate oh, scented. was it just they all did. old doll books? I think it might have been. Fair enough. The Secret Garden smelled like mud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drew, do you have a purchase? Um, I do. I have two. One is in keeping with the sort of memoir memory theme of this episode is patty smith's new memoir oh um you're the monkey i went and picked it up like at 9 a.m when the bookstore opened um fun and the other one the same day i was walking down a street in brooklyn and i happened to pull up my phone and was idly looking at emails and hingston and olsen sent out the notification that uh, the third and final volume of The Ghost Box mm-hmm. Ooh, is coming out. They they are, uh, I have the first two up there on top of the desk. Oh, they are beautiful. a Canadian publisher and they've, they do a short story advent calendar every year. And then they've done, with Patton Oswalt as their editor, this will be the third and final collection of spooky short stories in like a beautiful box. And each one is individual. Oh. It's like... I am just such a sucker for beautiful, beautiful books and spooky books. And this is right in the middle. Both. So, so I shouted on the street. I said, ghost box. Hell yeah. <laughs> and a couple people were like, what? And a couple <laughs> and people was, were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just got, um, I gave my editor that there's a beautiful copy of the dead by Ooh, Joyce. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that really beautiful copy? Is it the Folio Society one? Maybe. Oh. I do. Folio Society books are very gorgeous. Why? Why were it you? It looks like Florentine paper or something mm. like Ooh, that. Uh-huh. Right, that one. Yeah, and it's so beautiful. And my God, that story is wonderful. Oh, and Jeanette Winterson is coming out with a new book. Oh yeah, and I loved her memoir. Oh, Frank Kistein, right? Or is that? Yeah, yeah. I just got it in the mail. I couldn't read it, but it, I like her. Mm. Yeah, that yeah, that looks exciting. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, she's amazing. Her um, memoir was kind of great and, and then kind of also kind of dark, but really good. Mm. Really good, actually. Beautifully written. All right. Speaking of good, dark memoirs. Oh, was yes! it dark? It wasn't dark. It was It was kind of dark. Um, it, <laughs> uh, small Fry, can you tell our listeners uh, about the book or what it's about? Sometimes people say, I was laughing so hard. Am I allowed to? And I say, <laughs> yes, because it was supposed to be funny. Mm. <laughs> uh, I wish I was funnier, but... I wanted to write something else besides a memoir, desperately, especially because I had a, a famous dad. And so then it seemed like the most mortifyingly cheesy thing to be working on a memoir. And I was trying to work on other things, but nothing was coming together. And um, even though it was really difficult and sort of a strange process to write the book and unpleasant, um, it still felt like I had to write it first mm-hmm. before sure. I could write other things. 
Um, so, and my mother kept on saying, you have to make sense of your past so that you don't repeat it. And I thought, oh God, that sounds like, that's such a cliche, mom. Do you realize that's just a cliche? <laughs> and do you realize that this is going to be like some sort of cheesy celebrity memoir or it's going to be perceived that way? And I'm actually a writer and can I please have another subject? Um, but I think a lot of writers, their first book is somehow autobiographical, mm-hmm. no matter what For genre sure. they're writing. And maybe not the spooky box. <laughs> but um, so kind of had to make sense of it. And and then every time I think bullshitting on the page is very different than in life, mm-hmm. because mm. if you bullshit in speech, it kind of works. Right. Mm-hmm. Or your funny family stories are funny family stories. Yeah. But none of that works on the page. So it has um, it's not necessarily um, completely honest, but it it weeds out some of the dishonesty that can go that can happen in speech. Mm and 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 that clarifying process felt important i think so that when i would try to write something where i felt terrible for myself um it just wouldn't work on the page like i was trying to make you feel bad for me just mm-hmm. trying so hard and then all that does is make the reader kind of bristle mm-hmm. right and so then you have to and so in order to make it work on the page you have to become a more interesting person mm. or at least a more reflective person sure. so i had to change a lot I was writing it and i just wasn't the same person when I finished it as when I started. So it took like so many years and people were meeting their partners and getting married and having like three babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people talk about how gestation so long. I was like, Oh my God, it is not very long. I'm still working on this book, like a loser in my closet, you know? <laughs> um, but then it was really important. Some of the things, you know, like to see through your own, to see through your own stories and then see through to other stories kind of, it's a way of doing time travel. Yeah. You not only get to go back and spend time with yourself as a kid, but your perception of your past changes so much that it's almost as if your past changed. And then because your past changed, your future's better or different. Mm-hmm. Probably better, but definitely different. That So I would love to hear more about that writing process because it's it's i love reading memoirs for that thing where you're looking it's like somebody's talking about when they were five and you're like how much of this do you remember how much of it like do you think you remember and then how much of it are you like remembering the manufactured memory Mm -hmm. what was what was your i don't think people know the difference really Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think i think they've done studies and people can't distinguish necessarily right haven't they done studies and memories so what is it not fallible or or it changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember once I went over to my then boyfriend, now husband's house and he had a glass table. And if after that time in his apartment, you'd asked me what was his table made of, I and I don't know why this seems important to me. It's just a table, whatever. But it's the example I have. If you stuck a gun to my head and said, what was the material this table was made? I would have said glass, no question. And then it was wood. I went back and I was like, wow, that's strange. I, you know, mm. just no huh. question. So... You know, read this book with a grain of sand. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> no um, so, uh, I mean, I feel a little bit with this question, like, I have just figured out to walk after stumbling for 10 years, wow. and you're asking me to tell you about walking. <laughs> <laughs> so I can do it. I can tell you how I did it, but it was really hard, and I probably did it badly, and I probably took too long. <laughs> when I first got the contract, I felt like I needed to write this book because I was getting a certain degree of pressure from my mother to write it. I couldn't figure out what else to do. Mm-hmm. I found a really good 
agent. I'd had an agent before, but I found a, an agent that was better for me. And he, um, and, and I'd written a couple stories that were kind of working that were, you know, and I didn't know what else to do, mm. but this, I knew I was a writer, but what else am I going to write about? Right. I have some expertise in this. And so, so I've, I'm, so I, there's a lot of pressure to do this and I get a contract to do. It takes me like six months to get a book contract. So it took me forever. But it took me for so long because I'm trying to sell a literary book, not a celebrity memoir. So I'm trying to get a different kind of editor and I'm writing a proposal is a really weird process because just because you're good at writing, you might be amazing at writing proposals and terrible at writing books and amazing mm-hmm. writing books and terrible because they're completely almost antithetical skills. One is right. selling yourself and one is somehow it one is staying on the surface exquisitely well and one is plumbing the depths and mm-hmm. they somehow fight at least for me so most of my proposal was just a few you know a few different scenes but i didn't know how to write i didn't know you had to write a scene i'd written essays before essays you can kind of blather on but a scene <laughs> so you have to write a scene what does a scene mean what does a scene begin when does a scene end i really didn't know so I, anyway i managed to get together the proposal my agent helped my ex-boyfriend helped but also it was only three or four scenes in this proposal. Mm-hmm. So three or four short, s- true stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm thinking, oh my God, I don't remember enough. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I got a proposal and I mean, I got a contract and it was a pretty big contract for writers. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that because you read about these huge advances, but s- most writers get very small advances. Right, so, yeah. a, so a fairly robust one is amazing you know Mm -hmm. but of course that was because they thought well you know they're like this is how many people are interested in her father and this is how many people are interested in books and this is the venn diagram (laughs) (laughs) subtract 50 and there you go um so but then i thought i don't really remember and this was like my terrible secret Mm -hmm. i don't remember enough yeah i really and i was telling my boyfriend at the time ex-boyfriend now who i'd known my whole life since i was little um, we, our parents had all known each other, which is very odd for me considering my parents, my two parents, knowing his two parents. Yeah. I mean, his parents are divorced. My parents were never together because they all studied with that Zen Buddhist monk that's in the book. Mm. So I'm telling him my deep, dark secret, which is I don't remember enough to write a book. And he's saying, you will. And I'm saying, no, 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 you don't understand. I really don't. <laughs> I think I have flagged, you know, no, no, you will. You will. Um, and so a lot of the process was just excavating memories. And it turns out if you sit long enough with yourself and you remember one thing that leads you to another thing and you're willing to mm. write the 50 boring scenes in between, mm. you remember so much. Mm. Huh. And I went back to California for a while and I visited all the houses and I made sure I knew all the moves that we'd had. And I talked to all my parents ex boyfriends and girlfriends and I got it fact checked to make sure I wasn't off base like not the legal fact checking not Mm -hmm. so that you not so that the publishing house won't get sued but the kind they do in magazines where they're like you said it took 20 minutes to walk to the store but I've tried it and it actually only took 10 like that Mm -hmm. kind of fact checking cool so you know you're like on base you know you know that you're not flipping back and forth in time you know you got the seasons right like you're not you know and and that felt like the most like super important scaffolding for me, because I actually don't write fiction. I really like nonfiction. It's only when things are right that you get to play. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, play meaning really like if you had a roof over your head, then you could feel the range of your emotions. Mm-hmm. Right. That something about having the structure in place. I don't mean play meaning invent. I mean play meaning 
really um, feel Mm -hmm. yourself into spaces and remember what the feelings were. And I think that maybe facts and feelings are buried in layers in us. You get a whole, you had a whole new group of facts. You think, oh, right, I went to Japan in middle school. That's interesting. Oh, my God. And then my dad came and, oh, Lee, that was my teacher then. Oh, she was also my teacher in fourth grade. So you get a whole series of facts and then the emotions come up. Mm-hmm. And then you get the sort of color and all this, all the the other layer of things that were happening when those. And those lead you to a whole new set of facts and then emotions. But it was quite a unearthing. It was mm-hmm. quite an excavation unburial process <laughs> mm. <laughs> sounds like the undead <laughs> but and and it was very dispiriting i felt very hopeless um the tone the writing style wasn't coming together until i understood the perspective the perspective didn't come together until i understood i i was very innocently lying about certain things because I wanted the reader to feel a particular way. So I wasn't copying to my own part in it. Mm -hmm. Then the more I had a character who would have things to feel ashamed of, the more I had a character and the more I had something to rest on and the more I had a tone and the more the book could have style, but there Mm -hmm. was no style for a really long time. I, I like to use semicolons. I can write. Usually my essays would pour out of me and this was without style for so long. I was just telling, I mean, if you'd read the early drafts, you'd think, oh my God, we just really don't care about what happened that day in third grade. You know, <laughs> that bad. And right. I knew it. It's amazing though, because then you you say that, and then we having read this book, it's it's so much the opposite that at times yeah. it reads it reads very literary. It, yeah. re- it reads like a novel at times. I mean, the... Yeah. Your dad's name isn't mentioned until I think in the paperback it's like page nineteen or twenty, and I the first time I saw it, there was a like a jolt that went through me, because it it felt like this thing that it was it was dramatic irony right there on the page. I knew, and then when I was like, <gasps> oh. ooh, like yeah. all of a sudden now it's like the title sequence, and now yeah. we're in, and I was like, oh okay. Yeah. There was, it, yeah. But there were so many moments like that throughout yeah. the book where you just you deployed things so beautifully. Well, how do I say this? I was basically doing this really selfish thing, which is that I was using the fact that I have a celebrity parent to get to really write the memoir about my coming of age Mm -hmm. that I wanted to write as if my coming of age (laughs) is super important. But I guess to some degree, if you can write something that's more universal, then it is important because right. it, it has a lot of resonance for other people and it's mm-hmm. meaningful and it gets to be part of their lives too. And so then it's, then, then it's worth it. But, um, I wasn't really trying to write a book about him mm-hmm. and, but that was obviously a really tricky line. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I had to be careful how I played that. That was very conscious. Like I, you know, I, a friend read it or an acquaintance read it who's a writer, a very good writer and said, you know, we need more of your dad. And I thought, oh, um, there isn't more. I didn't spend that much time with him. I don't have a million stories that I didn't tell you. If right. I didn't include them, they either aren't, they aren't expressing a change. They're just another time we went skating <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or, you know, that was kind of it. Mm-hmm, I don't right. have more to tell you about him because I've been exposed again. I didn't spend, you know, I didn't get as much time with him as I would have liked. So right. to write a whole book about this man I didn't know 
versus to write a book about myself and try to figure out where this story that would in the surface of it seem like an outlier is actually quite common Mm -hmm. maybe and i was thinking also like what an american story going back and forth between your parents Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and like this feeling of and moving a lot and driving a lot and this (laughs) california california yeah (laughs) yeah. (laughs) and also maybe i mean maybe again the relations between the sexes like parenting in america you know Mm -hmm. this would be a very different story in another country where there was universal accessible daycare or something Mm -hmm. because when you're on your own and you're poor and you're a single mother in America, that's, that's pretty raw. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was thinking that he would be boring on the page Mm. because, and I was hoping he would be boring on the page. (laughs) My mother is more interesting in a certain way in person. My father was really good in front of large groups of people. Um, exquisite. And, sometimes good in front of small groups of people and definitely one-on-one could be really good too, but also very awkward sometimes and very quiet. Like Mm. hours would pass kind of like just quiet, shy, awkward. My mother said he'd tell jokes in high school and like no one would laugh. Just Mm -hmm. had a whole um, kind of loser side. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought that it, he might be a bit, boring on the page and that would be such a relief because then I wouldn't have to share the spotlight with him. Right. And then what a Kel surprise my, you know, I can't speak French. Don't come <laughs> but like, like, Oh shock. Her mother is more interesting than her father on the page. Wow. You know, but then it, but then it didn't turn out that way. I started mm-hmm. writing it and he was like pulling focus. Mm. What? You know? So, so then it's also competitive in a certain way. Like, okay, no, I have, I have to write this book not about him but he has to be in it how are we going to share right so that structuring was intentional i worked hard at it um my friend jamie who helped me edit it jamie quattro is an exquisite writer mm-hmm. i know her from my mfa she um she also you know i would bristle whenever i felt like this had and en- we were getting too doting on him or we were or we were giving him too much space when this wasn't a book about him um and i didn't want to mislead people at this i don't know about his career particularly certain things i knew about but so it was always in the forefront of my mind that the structure it had to be clear this was a coming of age memoir Mm -hmm. the uh there's something on the back of the book that says uh i think it's vogue that says that this is a california gothic and I'm curious if that resonates with you because like that sort of unlocked the book for me in a way because there's so many like there's these cavernous houses and there's people behind doors and you're not sure how they're thinking and there's just like a lot of psychological play like trying to think moves ahead to get like the affection that you're hoping for. Like have you guys seen that movie? Um, I was about to say When Harry Met Sally but I definitely do not mean that. Um, Harold and Maude. Yes. Uh-huh. The house, my father's house was a bit like that house. Oh. Okay. Sort of a Spanish colonial, um, although his was a kind of cheaply done Spanish. <laughs> I mean, he would always talk about how, how, how it was shit, you know, and, and I was like, this is so nice. <laughs> how can it be bad when it has an elevator? <laughs> um, and these ballrooms, you know, but it was like, um, I think you're right. Cavernous spaces, things kind of 
decaying, a degree of planning ahead and constant trepidation somehow mm-hmm. and searching for something out of grasp, although I'm not sure that's a gothic. Think, Maybe it's surreal. I mean, yeah. yeah. I was struck with the universality of just the loneliness of childhood. Like childhood is lonely. There's so many things that you captured on the page that resonated. You know, um, there's that whole point of stealing money and like worried that you're going to get caught and not always like anytime your name is said in a certain way, you're like, <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> like here, uh, finally, yeah, yeah. finally it has happened and I will be banished. And I just, <laughs> yeah, there was, there were moments like that, that I was just like, that's, that I, you know, there were so many things that I was like, oh yeah, I feel that. I've, I, I know that feeling in other ways um, that I was so surprised by. Or waiting for someone to talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, but I guess what you mean by loneliness in that sense is you actually don't know how the world operates. I mean, I was stealing those hundreds in high school. I probably stole five. I think they probably got a new stack every month. Like nobody cared. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I'm sure they would have cared because stealing is stealing, but meaning I wasn't aware of the way this system worked I wasn't ever aware of I never thought about I wasn't a practical person in the sense that I never thought well how much money does my father have like Mm -hmm. I I didn't care I I was just looking for something else and I think it probably would have helped me I noticed probably would have helped me to try and figure out more how the world worked because I probably would have in navigating more cleanly through the world I would have the emotional issues might have been easier too, but you just don't know how the world works. Like, like I thought I'd heard maybe that every time he got a scratch on his car, on his Porsche, he got a new one. Mm -hmm. And this idea of course captivated me like, wow, you know? So like, where does he leave them? (laughs) How can I get one? Maybe I'll need one later. Maybe my mom will need like this advanced planning you think you can do as a kid. Right. Yeah. Right, from the Porsche graveyard. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'll just take one of those. <laughs> exactly, which is what makes it gothic, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, a lot of black, my father wearing black sweaters, black Porsches, his sort of bachelor world mm-hmm. um, where there was no real furniture. Right. Just uh, like big that, that pianos and empty rooms yeah. and fancy cars and then just kind of emptiness. There are these tactile moments of like the the difference of grade in the road as you roller skate of feeling like the rough to the to the floating easy pavement that I was just like oh I can't like that I mean I grew up in California so I also know that very well um, that uh, you know being on wheels and floating on nice pavement it's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's so I was just yeah I kept I kept doing that and like looking up and feeling this book. I was um it was a it was a nice experience. Do you um I was writing it in a closet because we'd <laughs> Wait, converted literally? this closet in Manhattan. Yeah. Um we just had, you know, a fairly small apartment and I needed an office and um so we converted this I mean what might have been kind of like a small walk-in closet. But if you put a desk across the if like if you take out the shelving and stuff like that and then you put and then you put a light bulb in the <laughs> socket like you can get a converter you know so you have a light instead uh-huh. you know mm-hmm. then you have an office it may <laughs> it may have no air <laughs> um but you can sit in one of those places and really dream about california <laughs> and the air and the light and even now i think 
I really miss the light and the air. And everyone tells me San Francisco isn't the same anymore. Mm. That it's so overtaken by this monoculture. And um, I mean, that even that the homeless people don't have anywhere to go to the bathroom. So if you walk around, you're like stepping in human feces in San mm-hmm. Francisco. And um, so that's really not so great. But the way I dream about it isn't that way. Mm-hmm. It's like this crisp, fresh slant, slants of light and crisp air and all this promise and everything being new, you know? I don't mean the building so much as just my parents were so young and there was all this possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to be there in my brain. Yeah. I mean, there was this, um, you, you talk about, moving to um, Boston and everything being close. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> like there's, yeah. I've gotten used to it now. Yeah. I was going to add, that's, that was my question. It's I think I've like, gotten used to it now. I mean, I, we live in a, we live in, we stare at a school from our house. Um, and a 6,000 kid high school, actually it's, um, Brooklyn tech. Mm. And so it's pretty big, but I've gotten used to the narrower distances but I think there's something lost by it. Mm-hmm. And I miss the I miss the views. And when we go to California, it feels like a eyeball massage. <laughs> oh, I was like, what? This is this is what I wanted. And the nature, it's just exquisite. Here it feels, I mean, I'm gonna make so many enemies, but it just feels like swampland. Mm. Like even the pretty oh, yeah. places. I mean, it, the, it was. Yeah. I'm, I am like a diehard born and raised Northeasterner. I grew up in Philadelphia. I went to school in Boston. I live in New York. My soon to be wife is from California. And we, for the longest time, she wanted me to move to Brooklyn and I was living in Manhattan because I loved the height and the sense. I loved that sense of closeness and moving to Brooklyn where it, it, it opens up just a bit yeah and then the first time i went to california i was like oh this is you why. and i speak different languages and we're just gonna have to figure out how to like and you, that that moment where you're talking about i was like oh it made me understand for mm-hmm. the first time how danny sees the east coast right yeah. and i was like oh wow. and you get used to it because there are a lot of great things you get for it but it's it's a pity. It's like a damn shame because the views and the vistas yeah. are magnificent. And I think probably somehow spiritually or intellectually recharging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a little over a year since the book came out. And I'm just curious, one year on, like, how do you feel now, now that it's out in the world and you've had the reactions and everything? I feel... I feel really overjoyed. It's been like a kind of feeling more solidly placed on the ground, I guess. Mm. Because if you, because just confronting certain things I was ashamed about and then find like the Harvard scene. Oh my God, I was going to go to my grave with that. Mm. I just thought, oh my God, that's so bad. Obviously, I'm not smart enough to be at Harvard, right? But then you write a good scene and people say, good scene. And you think, oh, I'm smart enough to write a good scene. And then you don't, go, <laughs> then you don't care as much about Harvard. You know, then you think, oh, that actually happened. That's kind of funny. Right. What? Mm-hmm. Um, and also you think, oh, right. That kid who was in that office doing everything she could to get in. Like she was just trying to do what she could to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really good. The crazy thing was just that I had a baby around the same time. Mm. And 
so I feel like I've undergone this huge shift where I'm wondering who this person is who's written a book and had a baby because it all happened in such a like overlapping fashion Yeah, mm -hmm. that I feel like I went into a tunnel as this young, childless, bookless woman and I came out with a baby and a husband and a house and a book I'd already done. And so I'm a little confused <laughs> who the woman was before. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. But I guess if I want to learn about it, I'll just read the book. But I, just, you know, but I, so I feel very different now. It feels a lot better. It feels like it takes a lot of energy to hold a lot of things. And now if anyone's like, oh, well, how did you feel about your father or something? I just don't even have to worry about it. Oh, I was just you yeah. can read a book about it. It's done. <laughs> it's over now. <laughs> and I really did enjoy the end of this process. I enjoyed the editing process. I enjoyed mm -hmm. the last two years of writing even before editing when I knew it was coming together, that mm. I was telling a story and the story was going to be compelling enough and that I, I could sometimes think of an extra thing, an extra thing that had happened to me and I'd think, oh, I should write that because that could go there. Instead of this huge amorphous mass right. that I would one day bring to Philip Lopate and say, should I just quit? You know, and, you know, so like it was like 800 pages, single spaced. Bless him. <laughs> wow. And um, I don't know. I was like swinging between ropes and I just caught it at the last minute. And now suddenly I'm middle aged. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> middle aged and exhausted. <laughs> but and, and I was just a, I was living so much in my girlhood and mm. so much with my parents. And now sometimes. Sometimes I'll have a thought like, oh, I miss my father or, oh, wasn't that incredible that time? Mm. And it'll feel so comfortable, but I'm not living there anymore. I'm right. I'm supposed to be living in the moment now and I'm not actually sure how to do that. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's like, they're like, it's a call for help. <laughs> no, but it's, so, but it's so good too. Oh, and another thing is like, I didn't, so I... Baby in April book came out in September, but there's pre-publication stuff. Mm -hmm. um, mostly interviews. I'd already done a photograph because the timing I was like, oh, I think I might be pregnant when we tried it. So, um, but then it felt like there was a fire. A friend said, when you are just had a baby, it feels like there's a fire hose in your face. You can't sort of think outside this immediate and overwhelming reality, or at least I couldn't. And that was when the book came out mm -hmm. um so my husband was helping me manage it, all of it um but i didn't read any of the reviews or anything none mm -hmm. of them not a single one i didn't listen to anything i didn't so i really don't know exactly how how did it go except for <laughs> some things seem really good and my husband would sometimes re read me a line or two you know some reviews were good but didn't seem to get the book i meant to write some reviews felt like oh right they they got it yeah and so he'd read me a line or two mm -hmm. um it feels like I've created a blank slate for myself in a certain way. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you're done with that. And yeah. now I have no idea what to do. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest and say that I, I kind of thought that there was more here. Like I, it felt like there might be. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there'll be another something in like 50 years. Next, <laughs> next book I get to write something not about me. Mm. Yeah. I had such a joy reading Small Fry in conjunction with the book that you brought to us. Yes. Marilyn Robinson's Housekeeping. Because the two they they felt very of a piece. Mm -hmm. And it it I made me it made me really appreciate the 
I don't know. I feel like such an asshole being like the literary touches of because I I just I bristle at the like that idea of like literary means a certain thing. Yeah, it's hard to be literary without being mannered or something yeah. or mm-hmm. off-putting. Yeah, but the I don't know the novelistic touches of your book. I they I found them being reinforced as I was reading Housekeeping, which was yeah. very I love cool. Housekeeping. Um, can you tell our listeners why you um, brought that book to us? Like, what what made you um, recommend it to? To us as readers. I think it's one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. Um, it feels like it poured through Marilyn Robinson from the gods to her page. <laughs> and I did hear that it kind of worked that way for her. It was just such a ins- rush of inspiration. I thought my my own process was going to be like that because that's how conceited I am. <laughs> and that maybe I would never have to draft because it would just pour right through me. And in fact, it was like halting and not, not the process I thought it was going to be. But that book is just, I mean, her use of language for me changed my idea of how language could be used. And also the, um, the, the story is so tender and Mm. sad. And, and because Marilyn Robinson's willing to see it from so many different angles, Mm -hmm. she's circling so beautifully around these characters Mm. without ever pinning them down. Yeah. That some of the shocks that you have, you you kind of have to create for yourself out of your own understanding of the world. Like at some, at some point you're like, oh, wait, this woman isn't taking care of these children. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of understand, you, you, in that book, you can understand madness maybe. Mm. Yes. Yes. Madness, and you can understand it so well, it's like it's your own. Yeah. yeah, it's not separate from you. And I think my aunt Mona gave it to me when I was young, and I think we have some madness in our family, both of us, me and my aunt, on both sides. And the only way to live with it, I think, as an artist, to not become so black and white or not go insane yourself, maybe. I mean, who knows? <laughs> the jury's still out on me, but um, is is to not pin it down, right. but to see it in yourself. Um, so anyway, there's like the leaves filling up the houses and the the breeze blowing through and everything lifting and then settling mm-hmm. and the water coming in the house and all of the these people. Flood. Wow. The flood, it's mm. so biblical. I mean, you feel like she must have, I thought, I felt seething jealousy that she'd had this, that Marilyn Robinson had had this religious upbringing and that she'd been reading the Old Testament so much because the <laughs> cadence infuses her prose so much and I did not have that kind of upbringing and so I did did not have that kind of cadence. And then also, I felt like I identified with Sylvie, I think, not myself, but I mm. felt, my mom said, you think she's like me? And I thought, no, a little bit sometimes, <laughs> you know, um, that like the distance between a kind of negligent hobo and a poet isn't so far. Right. Mm-hmm. And also particularly identified with Lucille. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so housekeeping must have really resonated with you personally. I mean, it seems Oh, my God. Like so. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And Lucille's conservatism in the face of it and how she seems so prissy. But then how else could she be? I mean, I see I saw I definitely identified with Lucille and then read it when I was older and then identified with the other sister more, <laughs> you know, Um and they had, I mean, it's different than mine, right? I was moving and moving. And there was an, an ideal of hippiedom. Whereas they had this 
sort of almost too solid, too generational yeah. systems stuck in the mud or stuck in the past. And so I think Sylvie must have felt like a breath of fresh air in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely felt I. It's easy to. I mean, I wonder how your listeners would think about this, but it's really easy to lose faith in yourself when you're writing. Yeah. Because you look at it and you realize how bad it is. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And um, so reading that book, reading some Alice Monroe stories, reading Tobias Wolf was kind of the antidote to that feeling of mm. fruitless faithlessness. Mm. Because they have... I enjoy their cadence and it sort of brings me, it's not the same, but it brings me back to my own cadence. I don't know if it's thematic. I think it's the mix maybe of like, oh, this person sees some elements of my soul in their story, but also their rhythm. It feels good. And then it makes me want to write more. Yeah. That's the highest compliment I think you can give to a writer is that you read their work and you want to write. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. I think so too. There's something too about that. Like particular, and I, I think I'm at a point of significant life change where I feel like I am looking back a lot and I'm reflecting a lot. And I found I, I there's something about a book that also makes you feel more comfortable with your own past, regardless of what, like my past looks completely different from either, but both of these books, I, I found myself turning and looking back. I don't even really know how to put it into words. There's something transmogrifying about it yeah. I wanted people to feel better in their own skin for having read my book huh. like I'd like I'd gone through some degree of discomfort and then they could and then both of my readers and me could feel like ah yes mm-hmm. I am good enough yeah. yeah Um, like maybe they would pick it up thinking it was going to be some distant thing and then in fact it would feel like they were reading about parts of themselves right and so and that the shock of thinking it was going to be far away when it's just close and approachable yeah, would feel good and not approachable because I'm like, Oh, hello. I'm also human. <laughs> but like really approachable, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of, I mean, I was nervous. Marilyn Robinson has hit that point for me. This is the first of hers that I've read. I've had Gilead on my shelf forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh my God, like, what if I don't, what if I don't like, yeah. what if she's oh. like another one of these authors who's just been blown up and then you get there and then. And like, Gilead oh. is in some ways less approachable, I think. Mm. Maybe yeah. you started reading it. I haven't read it yet. I haven't. It's just, it's one of those things it's where I'm like, I know I'm going to read it some year, probably at Thanksgiving. Well, that's, that's the thing is it's, it's. This is very different though. This story is very different. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, I loved it. Yeah. I, it, there's a reason I think that there's 20 years apart. I mean, if I think. I yeah. wonder if she was just waiting to feel that like rush again. That, that that's like, what I wonder. That, like, lightning storm. That's what I wonder. That's what um, Stephen King talks about for his writing. He says that his right that his books are like a lightning storm in his brain until he r- starts writing it, and then oh, finally, lucky like, man! Yeah. <laughs> well, but thus thus sixty novels. <laughs> yeah, totally. It seems, it seems like that means that he's constantly under a storm. So I don't know. How it does. Living with him would be hard, probably. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know who said it, but that you don't finish writing a book, you just stop writing a book. Right, like art projects aren't uh-huh. aren't completed, they're only abandoned. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I I wonder about that for 
because especially with housekeeping, it just seems like all of these sentences, they're just like, I don't know, it's like a Swiss watch in a lot of ways. They're perfect and they just turn so well from the Gothic to the interior to the like God to Oh to my Earth. God. Mm-hmm. You know, it is exalted. Yeah. That it's, book. it's wild. Um, yeah. And oh God. Okay. Well, we should probably talk about some recommendations. Yeah. We should recommend things. I realize that I, I have a space right here under recommendations. But it's just it's just blank. <laughs> I didn't I didn't mind what. So you're not so gonna go on. first. <laughs> <laughs> so someone else go. So I was wondering if army boots are army boots in fashion. I don't know. I was feeling really drawn to army boots, and I was wondering if it was the current moment, the political climate, climate Ooh. change. I'm not sure we should frame everything as a fight because. I guess we've got some fights uh-huh. now happening and I'm feeling very drawn toward fall uh-huh. army boots. Cool. So, and not toward any other shopping. I just thought, you know what, this fall, this season, I'm just going to try to invest in a pair of army boots. Yeah. Mm. They haven't arrived yet, so I'm not sure if they fit. <laughs> That's kind of fun though. Cause it's still the, like, I think this is going to Mm-hmm. <laughs> just because it hasn't arrived yet it's, it's, it's all it, i mean when things are all possibility it's pretty nice it's yeah. still in the realm yeah. of possibility yeah. right now we're in the interstitial space between ordering and arriving mm-hmm. so rec- the recommendation is just to order things. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i think it's better to go to the store um but i haven't had the time sure right right there's all the packaging and like what i mean it's just but anyway yeah so army boots um for the fight ahead yeah Right. Yeah. To participate um, in some way. Oh, man. I had one. Now I have two because we said fight. Okay. So what do you have? Uh, Uh-oh. Fight yeah, is, is it's not out yet. It'll be out uh, just after this episode comes out, I think. Um, How We Fight for Our Lives, Saeed Jones's new memoir. Oh, yeah. That's just, I read a galley of it a while ago. It is lyrical and beautiful everything that is wonderful about his poetry, everything that is wonderful about his persona um, with a very hefty dollop of like personal growth that anybody can take with them to be like, Oh yeah, I am okay. Um, it's a real, it's a really, really triumphant book. Um, and the other one, as we were talking about cadence and writing and those writers who make you just want to write uh, maybe my favorite author working today. He's certainly, floats in like the top four depending i guess on the day of the week uh kevin barry's new book night boat to tangier is i just it's my favorite of his books so far and i say that about each of his books that come out it's two irish gangsters aging irish gangsters sitting in a spanish port they think that one of their daughters may or may not be getting onto or off of the night boat to or from Tangier. Uh, you're not quite sure why they're looking for her, but they talk. It's almost like a Beckett or a Pinter play. It's mostly just like dialogue. And it's super, it's very like Martin McDonough-y, flowery, like brutal Irish language. Hmm. Oh, but it's just, I mean, it makes you want to read it out loud in 
your horrible Irish accent. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but to like, just to lean into the pleasure of saying the words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I keep all of his books. I find my, I'll just like, if I'm stuck writing, I'll pull one off the shelf and start reading it. And then I'm like, well, this is really fun. I need to go try and write something that's this fun. Mm. Uh, so his new one is terrific. Oh, that sounds amazing. All right, Christopher. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't. Time's up. Yeah, I know. I'm going to just recommend a song because I don't think I've ever done that. Ooh. Um, All right. I, uh, I I think I send this. I've sent this song individually to, I, I think, now a dozen people because I'm just, I'm so tickled by it. <laughs> I sent it to you. Um, you didn't send it to me. I have, well, now you can listen to it after the show. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, although, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a qualified recommendation because I'm not sure that people will actually like it. Um, it's such but a it's, vulnerable position recommending a song, isn't it? Yeah, it like Ooh, leaves yeah. you so exposed more than a book. Yeah. yeah, but it's a safe space here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's only three minutes long, so you know I'm not. If you actually listen to it and say like, oh, that's if three this is the song gone. I'm thinking of, it's there's a lot that happens in three yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> this song. Um, it's called Concrete. Uh-huh. It's by Poppy, is the name of the artist. Um, and, uh, it's, it's like an operatic, it's like, there's many movements. Um, Whoa. it goes through like a bunch of different it's... modes. There's, um, thrash metal, uh, pop sixties pop. It's crazy. And one of the reoccurring lyrics is bury me six feet deep, bury me in concrete, turn me into a street, <laughs> which is so weird. That's turn so me into a street. I, I just walk around thinking about wh- what, it's it's such a strange little turn of phrase for a pop song um so go and seek out poppy concrete um and then that's gonna be at cd (laughs) hermelin when you have the response that i did which is just a lot of question marks and exclamation points yeah yeah tweet at me if you actually listen (laughs) to it because i want to talk about this song until i die (laughs) until someone turns me into a street Nice. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, another recommendation that has nothing to do with anything except for this show is that uh, we still are taking um, uh, submissions for our library, like our like the books that you would want to add to, like the the Ur canon. Of, we've been enjoying seeing those lists mm-hmm. come in, and we will eventually put that out, and people can add to the so many damn books library, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. And please do that. Uh, you can do that online you can just tweet at us all of the things are at so many damn books so many damn books at gmail you can support us via mm-hmm. our patreon at patreon.com slash smdb you can leave itunes reviews we really like them they um, really help us out and you can also go pick up small fry yes please do it's an amazing it's an amazing book. book oh i i inhaled it and just like a couple, oh, I loved it so much. Thank you so much for writing it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for joining thank us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, guys. That's and it. And for That's letting it. me drink. <laughs> <laughs>